Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing and this is Exhibit A Turnings where we talk to lawyers and other experts across the country to figure out what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Joining me today is Mike Whalen of Lawyer Forward. Um, Lawyer Forward is a unique set of ideas combined with a unique community. Everything Mike and his team do does is focus on connecting lawyers with each other and with their communities. Collaboration is at the heart of it. So I'm very interested to hear more from Mike and pick his brain specifically about Lawyer Forward as well as uh, content marketing strategies. For those of you that don't know Mike, Mike let us know he is in a ranty mood. So we might have quite the, uh, the epic throwdown here. Um, I should also point out, uh, since we're middle of the day doing live, my daughter has a room over there. It's COVID. Her room is literally over there. And she's got these tropical birds. And we just got one bird who says, what the, f like over and over again, she just drops the F-bomb. And so last night, I'm in suburban Kansas City. So when the Chiefs won last night, you heard this, like I'm, I'm down, I'm in a meeting with my virtual assistant, my Sunday night meeting. And I heard, all of a sudden I heard all these fireworks outside. And so I paused and did this. And you heard the dog bark twice at the fireworks. And then the, and then this bird goes, what the fuck, like to the dog barking. So this could be a conversation that needs the E on it. You know, you might have a bird in the background upping the maturity rating of this conversation. There we go. It definitely won't be you and I upping the maturity rating of this conversation. <laughs> so fair. we'll leave it up to a random bird. Um, before we get into that, if you our next episode is going to be on April, April, oh my God, January 28th, January 28th. This Thursday, we're talking to BJ Bernstein. BJ has 33 years of experience in Georgia handling criminal defense and civil litigation. She's been featured on uh, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, Today Show, Good Morning America, and wanted to highlight the fact that she's won several awards, specifically the John Jay College of Criminal Justice Award presented to her by the late Congressman John Lewis. So she's going to talk to us about Zoom advocacy, as in how do we convince a jury and a judge and panel and whatever um, with a lot more forcefulness while we are all virtual during COVID now, you know, 10 months later. So I'm excited for that one on Thursday. But with that, let's talk, let's talk, Mike, tell me, tell me the history of Lawyer Forward. Oh, shoot. Well, first I'll say I've won no awards. Uh, <laughs> I, I did have, when I was practicing, you know, people would send me those things that were like, you won this award, now pay us $250 for the plaque that's correlated with this fake award we just made up. Uh, so I have plaques like all over the place because uh, I didn't get enough validation as a child. So, uh, but I did practice for a while. Uh, I went to law school when I was 30 with four kids in tow, which I recommend to no one. And when I went, I had already worked for a little while in business. I worked in uh, transportation and logistics. And when I went to law school, it was in 2008. So right before the banks collapsed, like literally a month before the banks collapsed. So we had no idea. And I went to Texas, which is an academic institution, uh, not a trade school, they told us, which is code for they don't teach you anything that, you know, will actually get you a job. It's one of those like, you could do anything with this degree, therefore, you can do nothing with this degree kind of setups. Uh, and, and so a lot of the students that were there just assumed they were all going to get big firm jobs. And even after 2008 hit, right, everybody just assumed, like, because we're bad at math, uh, they're all going to get these big firm jobs. And I realized, you know, within 
the first few months of being there that I was likely starting my own firm uh, out of out of law school. And so while I was there, I created this future solo and small firm club. Uh, and the idea was that we would bring these different speakers in who were practitioners to come to the law school to talk to us about what it's like to practice. And nobody showed up. It was the most amazing thing. Like the school had like 1400 students and we'd get like three and we did it through the career services office. It was well promoted. We had pizza and cookies. All the boxes were checked for law students and no one would show up because they all just assumed, right, that they would have these big firm jobs. And and that was sort of the start of what has now become Lawyer Forward. It's me trying to bring basic business lessons to law firms, uh, to lawyers and those lawyers resisting it every second of the way uh, because of some exception. Uh, when I wrote the book Lawyer Forward, that changed a ton, uh, especially because, because it's a longer narrative, because I was able to tell the story of me finding my place in the law, I was able to address the things that really matter to me, like you know what we call wellness, but lawyer suicide, depression rates, these things that really bug me, and I could, because I could talk so long in that book, I could draw a straight line from business design to you, right, to your life. And so that's really been the mission of Lawyer Forward is to address specifically this issue of lawyer suicide, but in general, finding ways that business design, business model innovation can lead to actual betterness. So... How many of those 1,400 students in the intervening years have reached back out to you and been like, hey, I'm an idiot. I should have gone through all of your presentations. <laughs> I do get the occasional call now. Uh, yeah, no, it, it it's a lot more. And and frankly, you know, statistically, that's how it should work. You know, if you, if you look at the data that shows who's going uh, over time, who's going solo, it's really slow at first. It's a really low number at first. And then it gradually sort of ticks up. And so on one level, level I give those people a lot of grace, you know, you should do just-in-time learning. You shouldn't go learn a bunch of things that are not relevant to the place that you're at. But even, you know, people who work in law firms, there are some basic truths about business that you should understand because your clients demand that, but also just figuring out how to, how the the the, the business structure, the way law firms, the, the crevath method, you know, the, the system, it's called the capital S system, this crevath system, that's been duplicated in every kind of law firm of all sizes, how it's really damaging to attorneys, which is really at the core of the book is just talking about what I call the churn, the capital C churn. That's the bad guy of the book. That's what I want lawyers to avoid. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, you know, I'll echo the same story that you've had, you know, I started out as a prosecutor um, and then I opened up my own firm after a little over three years. And in like those first six years, I knew more other attorneys that committed suicide or died in their office or had a heart attack or a stroke than who retired. Right. And so it's just, it's, it's not, it's unfortunately something that is not that unique. And it's sad to see people, especially lawyers continue to kind of wear that overwork as a badge of honor and throw themselves into jobs they hate rather than trying to find the right out. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, people try to qualify all this, but there's a, a study that if I can find the link, I'll give it to you, but it showed that, Going into law school, about 10% of the students had treatable depression and anxiety, which is normal. 10% is, is normal. Uh, during law school, that number ticks up to 40%. 
And within three years after law school, it drops back down to 20%, which is half of law school, but still double normal population. And lawyers were a normal population when they went in. And I find that we spend a lot of time justifying this system that has twice the occurrence of these damaging things as any other work environment, you know, most other work environments, certainly than the average, uh, we tend to sort of brush them aside and say, well, it's okay. Look at these lawyers who are incredibly successful. You can be them. Stop talking about the negative. Let's go talk about them. We tend to use unicorns to justify the system. And that, that just bugs me. It bugs me. Appreciate that. Hey, um, Breezy, I got a message that my audio is a little low, so I don't know if you can audio. Or maybe I'm just super loud. Whichever. Potentially. I mean, I can hear me fine and I can hear you fine. So I'm biased anyway. Um, so this is a really good transition because for me, like, you know, at no point am I going to claim that I, that I got to the level where I was truly depressed, but for me, I, I could see the future of unhappiness. And I realized that the way out was being able to market, you know, right. the more cases you can get, the easier it was to say no to clients, the more money you had, the easier it was to hire staff for all sorts of different things. And so, you know, as we're talking about this, um, creating a, a content plan and a content strategy, mm -hmm. you know, walk me through a little bit of your overall take on that. And then I want to dive deep because I know we've got some disagreements. Yeah, I think it's intimately tied to this issue of overwhelm. And I, before we talk about any of it, I guess I would lead with the caveat that everything needs to flow from your particular business model. All of these decisions should flow from what you're doing in your firm, which is not the same as everybody else. And so what, what tends to happen when we go to conferences or watch you know shows like this or listen to podcasts, you, you get these examples of somebody who was successful with X, right? And the, the implication either that's made by the speaker or that we, you know, just we take from it is that that person did X and was successful. Therefore, if I wanna be successful, I need to do X. And that creates a list of shoulds, all the things that we should do. And that's the killer, right? If you go to a legal conference and you walk away with 60 ideas, you're going to implement none of them and feel like crap about yourself. And so the, the thing with marketing in general and content marketing specifically is we're going to talk about best practices for it, uh, the way that you might think about it in the modern context, which is very different, I think, than 10 years ago. Uh, all of that add the caveat that, boy, I've got to do the thing where I go back and think about my business model and make sure this complies with that. So there's some thinking to do first, and then you look into, is content marketing right for me? And if so, how best do I do it? So when you're talking about business model, I mean, mm -hmm. what, are we, what are we talking about here? Are we talking type of practice? Are we talking size of practice? Are we talking ideal client? Are we talking all those things? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I would encourage people to look up the business model canvas. It's a tool that is designed more for technology companies. So there's a, a little bit of friction with it. I adapted that tool for a piece that I did for Clio, the legal practice management software. Uh, it's just at clio.com slash new normal. That ebook uh, that I wrote for them is called Designing Your New Normal. And it's about how to turn ideas into action, right? How to filter your ideas so you don't get overwhelmed and then decide which ones are the best ones. But what the canvas does in general is it asks hard questions of whatever it is that you're trying to do. 
Uh, so what visually, it's a visual tool, so it's hard to explain, but what you see on the thing is that on one side, you have sort of the who or the demand side. On the other side, you have this how or the supply side, your, your firm. And in the middle, you have a value proposition. And the question with that tool is, when I think about the who, when I think about the demand side, what are their jobs that they want done? What are the pains they want to avoid and the gains they want to want to get? And then on the other side, there's my how. What am I offering, right? What jobs is my product fulfilling? What gains am I giving? What pains am I helping to avoid? And is there a fit? If there's not a fit, then there's a business model problem. Inside all of that, in the business model canvas, there are things about what are your channels, right? That's what we're talking about today is content marketing is a channel, a way that you connect with your who. But there are things too about billing. So for example, you hear a lot of people say, you should switch to subscription uh, services, right? You should have a subscription model for your business. Well, the truth is you, you can't do that without it causing ripple effects across the rest of the business model canvas. So the, the, these are big questions and obviously probably beyond the scope of this conversation, but I would encourage you to go find the business model canvas and just work through a few of them. You could just go on YouTube and search examples of the business model canvas and they'll show you how to do this. The key is as you do that, if a channel that you're going to use to connect with your consumer, if you're thinking about that, you want to connect with people in this way. You got to know who those people are. Your marketing is value. It, it is still a transaction. Are you meeting a need for them? If you're not, then don't do content marketing. So, and that was com slash new normal. Correct. All right. Breezy, if you can get that into the comments, that'd be awesome. Um, all right. So I love what you're talking about. Cause like, ultimately that's a lot of what we do at legalese is taking those like two steps back to be like, you don't necessarily want pay-per-click. You want to get in front of people who may use pay-per-click right. to look for your services. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of a lot of what we're going to talk about here. So I know you mentioned the should, and I want to start with the, you don't have to do everything part. Mm -hmm. And then I want to transition to, you made a comment about do less and do it better. So from the, you don't have to do everything standpoint, that's a matching your business model up with your ideal clients up with the different avenues to get to them. Yeah, let me, I'm gonna borrow a Druckerism. Um, and he sort of said two things actually. One was that marketing is all the ways you create value outside your core product or service, right? That's the purpose in your marketing. It's sort of this bundle of things that we call experiences or we call content or, you know, deals or sales or whatever. It's all this, these activities that we do that are outside the core, you know, technical product of we get somebody a divorce form, right? So, and, and the other thing that he said is that the purpose in marketing is to create a customer. I love that word create. He didn't say find, he didn't say attract, he didn't say draw in, he said create. That, that what your marketing is supposed to do is take somebody who does not give a crap about you, which is everybody, right? Nobody gives a crap about you, and then turn them into somebody who's in a position that they wanna buy your thing. Um, this is complicated by a lot of the conversations out there about like brand and, you, sorry. If you think that your law firm is ever going to become a lifestyle brand, you are a narcissist and you need to seek help. Uh, nobody, that's not the purpose in content marketing. The purpose in this kind of marketing is to create a customer, to create a what we'll call a pre-customer 
database, these people who hang around you because you're giving them value. They are already technically customers because there's a value exchange of you giving them content and they're giving you attention, but they then become buyers in your core product or service. So uh, with that said, there are different, there are all kinds of things that you could do, right? You, you could do you could be all over Facebook, you can be on Twitter, you can write books, you can record podcasts. I mean, just the the list is endless of things that you could do. And so you've got to make some predicate decisions about what's appropriate for my kind of firm. I can't do all of those things. And maybe even my firm shouldn't be doing all of those things. Uh, so what should I do? And a core distinction that I make in the book that I know you wanted to talk about was this difference between uh, expertise and building audience. In the book that I talk about, there are all different kinds of firms on what I would call a legal supply chain, but the two most valuable are those who focus on expertise and those who focus on accessibility and building audience. And that decision of which one you're going to do is a predicate choice that will drive a whole bunch of other choices. So we could talk about that now if you'd like. Okay. <laughs> so I, I just, I, I love it. Cause I know, you know, the first time I met you, you got to give a really awesome presentation at Max Lock on 2019. And it was just so interesting to hear you kind of talk about what if we just removed the entire belief in what a lawyer should do and really mm -hmm. went back to what a lawyer should do without this concept of the billable hour or partnership or whatever else. Right. Uh, so walk me through a little bit of this expertise versus an audience. And then I want to talk about how that goes into our content strategy. Yeah, and this seems very heady, but it is the the thing. It, it, in general, what you want to do is make choices that make downstream choices. That's just a general piece of advice I would give you in your firm. As the CEO, as the decision maker, you really don't want to make every decision. You want to be able to make a choice and then let it create downstream decisions. This is just a, a fundamental of decision science in general. Uh, you want to make it once and then a bunch of following on decisions are made. So this choice will make a bunch of decisions for you. In general, what, what, what I talk about in the book Lawyer Forward is that clients want two things from lawyers. They want expertise and they want accessibility. The problem is those two things are not complementary. They are contradictory to each other. So what an expert does uh, is the root of the word is that you experiment. What you're doing is you're you're seeing patterns because you're running experiments, you're seeing things happen over and over. You're looking for repeated patterns and then you pull insight from that. Well, accessibility is very different from that, right? That that's about being present, about giving people good feels, about building trust, about answering the phone and being on text messages. So you'll you'll go to a legal conference, and this happened at Clio several years ago. I, I was in one meeting and they were talking about you need to be uh, deep in your books, right? What people really want for you is, is for you to know something that they could never know. And they couldn't know it because they don't sit in a basement like you do, because we've been specializing since the age of agriculture. And, and so you can dig deep in a way that they can't. So way to go, we'll pay you now. We'll give you a value exchange for that kind of hyper-specialization. And then in the next meeting, uh, there was somebody on the stage who said, what clients have said that they really want is text messages. They want you to be available by text all the time. And that's asinine, right? Like you can't, you can't be in a basement being a nerd, doing the things that nobody else can do and being available by text. It's impossible. So what I think you need to focus on, a, a, a preliminary decision that I think that you need to make in your firm is, do you personally, 
Do you want to be the deep expert, the super nerd who does something no one else can do because you have this super narrow focus? You're more like a consultant than you are like a service company. It's your brain that's the product. Or do you want to be a solutions engine? That's what this accessibility kind of business model is. It's more like a scaled entrepreneurial kind of environment where you're growing something. Those two models are not the only models on the legal supply chain, but they're the most profitable because they are irreplaceable. There's, when you think about the, the, the cost of substitution, right? Like how hard is it to substitute this owner of audience? Well, it's virtually impossible, right? So a Tim Ferriss who goes out there and builds an audience, he can't just have a guest host on his show and it work exactly the same. There's always a drop off because he's built that audience. And then on the flip side, these deep experts that that get into, you know, the example I give in the book was Alan Dershowitz. This was before he went off the deep end recently. Uh, but he, you know, he didn't have to do any of the accessibility things. He doesn't, he's not available by text. I don't even think the man has a website. You have to go on Harvard's thing and you have to go through the, he doesn't care. And he can charge out the nose for what he does because nobody else does it. If you make the decision of which of those you want to be, it can drive how you make decisions about your content marketing. So I want to go into that deeper, but before that, I have a question from sure. a firm standpoint, mm -hmm. from an organizational standpoint, can you have the audience and the expert merge yeah. together? This is a really good question because uh, clients expect both, right? So in the deliverable, in them getting what they want, they don't like to see this distinction between here's the experts over here and here's the uh, the accessibility people over here. They, they want both Amazon and this deep expertise, right? They, they want both. So the cool business design, fun thing, and I say fun knowing that this drives most attorneys crazy, but this is the job, right? If you decide to go on your own, this is the job. You've got to figure out fun and creative, cool ways to deliver on both of those things. So some firms do both in-house, right? Some firms have a CEO at the top who does no legal work, really, right? That person does hardly any legal work. And then they've got minions and a pyramid and they're doing deep expertise and there's all kinds of structural problems with that. So it's easy to fall into... I'm I'm doing what Mike says, but we just do it all in-house when really what you're doing is copying the Cravath model and making yourself feel better about it. So know that there's risk with that. But the answer is yes, right? Uh, I worked at, um, I gave the example in the beginning of the book, I worked uh, at a distribution center for Walmart, right? Walmart is an interesting company in that some things in their supply chain, they insource and some things they outsource. And sometimes they pivot back and forth depending on sort of what's going on in the market. But like I worked for Swift Transportation, I didn't work for, uh, uh, for Walmart. And they brought us in, even though we were an outside company, they brought us into their physical space and we were doing work inside their company. That was their solution to the supply chain. Well, later, because Walmart started having problems with their supply chain, they had to integrate some things. It's a long story. It doesn't matter. Walmart sort of changed that relationship with Swift. They had their own supply chain manager, dispatcher people inside, but then they moved more of the truck capacity over to Swift, meaning there were fewer trucks that said Walmart on the side, uh, and then, but they had the same amount of work. My, my point is, that's a good question, and the answer is up to you right? But 
the cool thing about 2021, are we in 2021 now? So that we are, we're live. It's Does 2020 just bleed over? I don't know if it ended yet. But anyway, the cool thing about now is that you can compete with these very large firms through a networked model, right? So in the same way that a large firm can deliver on both accessibility and expertise, so can you as a solo, which was never true before, right? This was really hard. Historically, you had to go to the big pyramid you know, firm, but now you can connect with other people. You can go through a tool like Law Clerk and you can find, if you wanna be um, the deep expert, you can go on there and be a worker and you can connect with people who have cases because they have connection to audience because they've tried to build audience and you can be the expert and not interfere, right, with that business model. There are really cool ways to network firms in a way that you can really personally focus as a solo and still be successful. The problem that I see in the space, which is relevant to what I was ranting about when we started, is you don't have to do all of it, right? You don't have to do both. In fact, you can't do both. It is that thing, that fiction that we're told that we can be both expert and accessible is the churn and it is the thing that's killing us. So don't do that. Just don't do that. Yeah. And I always, I kind of look at it actually as three parts, not just two and correct me if I'm wrong here. I look at it as you have the lawyer, you have the marketer and you have the business owner. And so yeah. I don't know where that. Yeah. What's that cliche? Is. The, the minder, the finder and the grinder, I think I, is the, I think that's the cliche. Yeah, that's fine. Again, it, it, it's not, it's not so much supposed to be prescriptive. I, I, it is weird to me when the marketer is, you know, well, sometimes the marketer doesn't necessarily need to be a lawyer. Uh, in fact, it's usually better if that person is not. Um, the the minder, because in the legal space, we're not allowed to have, at least in America, non-lawyer ownership. It's really hard to have a non-lawyer CEO. And obviously the grinder, because of all the rules of uh, unauthorized practice of law, is usually a lawyer. So sure, I focused on the two that are not the marketer simply because those are the two that are required to be lawyers in the American space anyway. I expect that won't be true for long, but that's yeah, what's true. Uh, Utah and Arizona, I believe, have already yeah. allowed non-lawyer ownership. Um, okay, so, and it's really interesting because I totally agree with you from that standpoint of that's going to get you a better idea of what your role is in this overarching mm -hmm. structure. But I still think there's a missing component when we talk about where you get that message out, whether it's you doing it, whether it's you hiring somebody, not right. only is it a bandwidth question, but it's also an ideal client, where are they already question, right? Right. That and what do you want to do? Right. Um, you know, there's a sustainability question with any kind of marketing effort, any kind of I'm going to do value outside the company for the purpose of creating a customer. You're making a decision to go do some stuff, right, to do some legwork. And the thing that I learned in my practice uh, that was that was just hard for me to figure out was that I'm the only thing consistent about my business. And so if I build a business based on the prescription of others that assumes I'm a different person than who I am, it's destined to fail. So I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. There is, even though we use the two terms interchangeably, there's a huge difference between expertise and authority. In the case of expertise, the root of that word has to do with experimentation, uh, doing it over and over again, finding the insights, the thing that nobody else can find. Authority 
that word author comes, the root of that word has to do with trust. It's somebody that goes out and builds trust. So in the case of if you want to be an expert, you should be interviewed on a show. You should not be uh, uh, the interviewer. If you create a podcast, for example, you should not be the person who goes out and has a bunch of guests because you're trying to be the smarty pants, right? You're trying to be shown featured as the smarty pants. If you're trying to be an author, you're trying to build audience connection, uh, you being the show uh, in terms of your brain is not as important, then be the host, right? And you see this difference uh, between, oh, I'll say like Tim Ferriss's show versus Two Bobs, uh, which is a show with two guys who are experts on uh, agencies, right? In in the case of Tim Ferriss, he's perfectly fine interviewing a bunch of other people. He's an author. He's not out there saying, I'm the expert. You have to listen because I did all this research and I said it. He's inviting people. That's a great way to build a bunch of content, right? It's very easy. Uh, it's, it's, it's low key work. It creates network effects in that you had people on your show. They'll go tell their friends. It's great. Go do that. But if you're trying to express, I'm the show, right? Like I'm the brain, then you want to structure it in a way that a minion is interviewing you, somebody else, you know, somebody in your company, uh, you get somebody at the law school to be the host of the show, but you're supposed to be featured. When you make that decision of, am I trying to be an expert or am I trying to be an audience building solopreneur? It can make some of those content creation decisions for you. I love the fact that you are on a podcast that is interview based talking about why there are podcasts that are interview based. And now I'm imagining a bunch of people listening are going to go out there and start their own podcast where they get guests to then interview them on their podcast. Play with, you know, play with the models. The thing I, that two Bob's one that I liked um, is there are two experts. And so what they do is alternate interviewing each other. So on one episode, you know, uh, one guy, will send an outline to the other guy and this other guy will read it. Uh, so Blair will read uh, uh, David's notes as if he's asking questions, but David wrote the outline, right? But Blair will read it as if he's coming up with these brilliant questions as he goes along and David gets to be the show. It's a really cool structure, a really cool way to sort of have this exchange. But the key again is they're both pretending to be experts, right? They're saying out to the world, like, I've seen this pattern a bunch of times of agency owners who go out and try to build these agencies. I know how it works. I'm going to tell you what to do. It's not, let's have a fun conversation because you like my personality. It's prescriptive. Go do this based on the evidence. You should do this. So the format follows the model. And uh, your, your sort of twin, Nick, joined, chimed in with, uh, it, he enjoys being the podcast host. I'm not the expert. It's always about the story of others. And I'm right there with you, Nick. I mean, I always tell people I have the easiest job on this because basically, right. you know, I read like the answers to five questions beforehand <laughs> that you gave me. And then I'm like, all right, cool. Let's ask questions. Because at the end of the day, like everyone who's coming on can easily talk and at least keep me interested for like well over multiple hours. Yeah, it is a really great way to do it. And I, you know, as an aside, I, there are. I point out in the book that those are both market efficiencies in the legal space, inefficiencies right now in the legal space. One is that client customers don't know how to connect with us. We are in desperate need of audience connectors in the legal space. People don't know how to reach us. They see us as very different. And that's because historically the Cravath model and, and the system of lawyering and just expertise in general was built on you know, building this gap between consumers and us, the expert gap, I call it. Like, if you're scared of this gap, dear consumer, you'll be like, oh, I need to hire Mike. He's so much smarter than me. Um, but that just 
erodes trust. Uh, there's a book called Different by Young Me Moon at Harvard that talks about how that gap eventually totally kills a market because people don't know how to connect with us. There's a big market inefficiency in just connection. You see this with legal tech companies that are coming out to uh, try to connect people just to find a lawyer, right? You can build a whole business on just finding a lawyer. Avo got sold for a freaking fortune and all it did was scrape data from bar associations and make it easier to find a lawyer. That's a huge inefficiency. And the other one is we have an actual expertise problem in the legal space. We, we actually are doing a bad job of having evidence-based, pattern-based advice that is given to clients, right? Most of the time, if a client would come to me when I own my own firm and, and they would say, you know, I've got this situation in my divorce or whatever, I would say, well, based on my experience, I had one other case that was like this. And then I heard about something in law school, you know, there's not like a, a, any kind of scientific process for me to say, here's good advice. It's just me talking out of my, you know, ear or whatever, uh, making up stuff. Those are both problems. And instead of us hiding from it, I think we as an industry really need to say, we're creating those gaps and we can fill those gaps because that's a huge market opportunity. So let me ask you this question, because I always kind of phrase it to when I'm talking to new lawyers, I'm like, imagine it's the 1800s, you roll into a town and there are two attorneys in town. Mm -hmm. One of them is, you know, your expert is the greatest lawyer is, you know, Atticus Finch and To Kill a Mockingbird, right. not in the other book. And the other one's just like a really good marketer. You know, like yeah. I always feel like at the end of the day, the really great lawyers working for the really great marketer because they've got the cases, they've got the money, they've got the audience. Which is fine as long as that lawyer is doing something that's so valuable that, uh, uh, you know, that that person has to pay for it, then great. You're, you're both making money. The, the issue, and to your point, is that audience finder has a ton of leverage because they're one of the irreplaceable, you know, you can't be substituted. You own the audience relationship. If you're the kind of lawyer who wants to be a lawyer, like all you want to do is lawyer. That's your thing. That's a, the thing you want to focus on. That's cool. But now you have to do the work to be exclusive in a different way. Either case, you're talking about a method. You're talking about you as a lawyer at some point choose to be great at something. And do the work, right? Do the work. Your credential. We're. I, I was reading Seth Godin's new book, The Practice, the other day, and and he was talking about how in the modern world we lack credentials as a way to say this person is worth it. And he said, doesn't this open the door to charlatans, right? If if anybody can come in and credentials aren't what people trust anymore. And he said, no, the opposite is true. Now credentials make it so you don't have to work. Right. You can go in and be like, dude, 40 years ago, I got a law degree. This is what lawyers charge. You have to trust me in an open marketplace. That's not really how it works. You have to prove your value. But a credential can be a crutch. And I think for a long time for us, it has been a crutch. So before we close up, because I know we got to go soon, I wanted to talk about the content opportunity that exists right now, because I think we need to sort of shift what we advise people to work on in terms of content. Okay. And uh, with before we get to that though, Joey yep. Vitale, good uh, good friend of ours, shouts out that so good. Thank you, Mike and Jordan. So really, thank you, Mike, because I just asked the question. Thanks for being so pretty, Jordan. That is that is your function today is to be gorgeous. Well done, um, Joey's such a good man. Hey, Joey. Um, so look, I I'm going to say something that is probably a little bit unpopular in the especially in the legal marketing world, but I don't care. And it is do less, but better. This overlaps with everything that we've talked about because 
I think less but better works better in the current market, the current noise marketplace, but also in the you don't want to drive into a tree marketplace. It is actually adapted better to you as an owner and as a person. Here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine there's a spectrum. And on the one side, there's really easy content. So imagine a reply on a Twitter post. And on the other end, there's really hard content. So imagine a book, right? Doing writing a book. In the middle is everything else. And the key thing is that's also where everyone else is right now. They're doing pretty good stuff and they're doing a lot of it. They're there every week. There's a lot of presence. Uh, there's, there's just a ton of production. And we are being told that we should be in that middle space. We, could, we should create volume of pretty good stuff. We need to be present. We need to be consistent. I, A, think that that's overwhelmed that there's a lot of noise in that middle space where there aren't a lot of people writing books because it's not scalable, right? And there aren't a lot of people being responsive because it's not scalable in a different way of just being available and being around. So in terms of opportunity, I would say be at, the, at either end. The other thing I would say is in terms of the way network science works, and there's a great book called The Diffusion of Innovations that none of you will read, but there's a ton of science on this. And it is basically the idea that in a social circle, you have missionaries, the weirdos, and then you have everybody else who does not care that you exist. And you need to create content for both of those people. The missionaries care about the very far end of the spectrum that's really hard to create, a book. The everybody else cares about the buzzy engagement stuff and just being around. In both cases, what I would encourage you to do, uh, and I talk about this in a recent series I did on the Lawyer Forward podcast called the 90 Day Known Expert Series that will eventually become a book, do those things, play at the edges, do the really hard stuff, write a book once every three years. I don't care how long it takes you. Do it once every three years. And then on the other end, just be present, be available for people, answer messages, be on social. Don't create a bunch of pressure for yourself to create a bunch in the middle. There's a bunch of opportunity at the edges. And I think it actually works better with the science anyway. So uh, Ryan McKean says you have a great radio voice, which I'm not sure if that's a compliment or an insult. Hey, Ryan. Hey uh, there, Ryan. Um, so, so you're not necessarily saying, like, in essence, I guess their thing is get the book going, but like in between those books, actually engage with people. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And in general, look, I, I do repurpose create a repurposing machine, a machine that does not require you. So I'll, I'll give a quick example uh, of my podcast. So I've got this Lawyer Forward podcast. And every time I record the podcast, we've got a structure. There are four sections to it uh, as I create. It's done in courses. It's done in like uh, series, right? So I'm not doing a weekly show because it's freaking was exhausting. I did a show um, where I was doing these weekly storytelling podcasts, like NPR style, but it was just me. So it was just overwhelming. I just couldn't keep up. So instead, now we're doing four sections. I create, there's an intro. Hey, here's what we're going to talk about today. I'm stealing this from a guy named Colin Gray. Uh, he's got a podcast called Podcraft. It's really good. But anyway, there's an intro. There's a theory or a research section. There's context, which is an interview. And then there's homework. And those four sections go to different mediums, right? So for example, I'll take that, podcast interview and it will it, it will go on the podcast it'll include the intro the theory and the context that's for a podcast the course the paid course the, the which will be in the lawyer forward community which will launch in may will include those three things and homework it'll be operationalized the youtube channel will be the intro and a long interview 
right? The extended interview. Um, you know, the blog will be broken up. You can take the same conversation <clears throat> and, and use it in, in a bunch of different ways. The same with a book. I don't like the blog to book format, but I really love the book to blog format. I like that approach. Brene Brown uses that approach. Do the hard work. A book is just harder to produce. Do the hard work of producing a book, holding yourself to that standard, and then turn that into a bunch of pieces of content rather than the other way around. I'm a big fan uh, uh, in of creating a bunch of stuff, but it doesn't all have to be you. To use another book from that less, less but better comes from Greg McEwen in his book, Essentialism. To use another line from Greg McEwen, would you pay for it? If you wouldn't pay for it, then don't do it. Right. And in this case, creating a bunch of content, if you do the hard work of writing a book, if you wouldn't pay for somebody to go repurpose it, then don't do it. It's not worth doing. Right. You sure sure shooting shouldn't be doing it. Right. And if it's something that you would pay somebody else to do, then freaking pay them to do it. You got to create a business model first that feeds that machine. But do that hard work. Do the business model stuff that we talked about at the beginning. Make these decisions that make downstream decisions. Pick the content that is working best right now, which is at these polls, and then repurpose smartly. Did you see how he did that? I just, I tied a thread. Yeah, all the way through. through as if this was all on purpose. So the, the one question though that I have I'm is- Waiting for the bird. Where, yeah, what? Um, the one question that I have though is like, where does the things that you can't control come into this? Like you can control your goal of, the structure, your goal of your role in it, your goal of, you know, who you're trying to get to. Yep. But like at some point, you know, I hate Twitter, but yeah. if I was trying to be a lawyer for newscasters, I would yeah. have to force myself onto Twitter. Um, yeah. So first thing I would say is that's part of your business model decision-making, right? So you would not, if you hate scooping bird poop, you, you would not create a business that is all about you scooping bird poop. In the same way, you need to stop thinking about your marketing as some separate activity from your business model. And it's actually an internal competency that is required in your business model, right? Uh, there's a book called Killing Marketing by Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose. And they talk about this, that marketing is not a side thing. It is the thing, right? It is right. What, what you actually do. You act, the only purpose in your business is to create create customers, right? Um, and then everything else is just costs. You're paying for everything else. So that's what your business does, again, to, to quote Peter Drucker. So uh, first thing I would say is make sure that your business model incorporates things that you actually do want to do. Don't create a law firm for reporters if you don't want to be on Twitter, right? This is a competency you're going to have to have. The other thing I would say, and Greg McEwen, I just listened to his interview on the Jordan Harbinger show about, about this, uh, the disciplined pursuit of less, right? The episode is called. And he says, doing like the essentialism of doing less but better, that's only one spectrum. The other spectrum is what do I control? And you have to be mindful of that. You can't just go into your boss and be like, well, I've, I read essentialism and I think that thing that you just told me to do is really stupid. So I'm not gonna do that anymore, right? You have to be conscious of the things that you control but in a very stoic way, what he says is, then you let those other things go, right? Those things that you can't control, you just have to let them go and do the things and move on. Check off the boxes, take some Adderall, drink some caffeine, get them done, move on, right? But for you, he makes this point in that interview with Jordan Harbinger, you are a business owner. You get to decide what you do every day. There's no one to check on you. Nobody cares. Not even your spouse cares what you're doing every day. If you go and sit with your kids and try to explain to them what you do as a job, they don't give a crap. Nobody cares, okay? You get to design your entire life 
So do it and do it consciously. Do it knowing that you're you. You're not going to change. Don't design it for somebody else. Design it for you. It's hard. Do it. Yeah, no, I, I love like it's amazing to me how many in decisions we make unintentionally that really should be intentional decisions. And so I like read essentialism, please. Everyone watching this read essentialism, do that likewise. And so uh, I want to just highlight Maddie Martin dropped a comment. That was great. So um, you were talking about the, the homework is what stands out to her. Don't just create content that requires reading, create content that requires acting and engaging, bring it to life for your audience and motivate and equip them to act on your advice. Okay. Maddie, Mike's got it right. Maddie, I am writing a manifesto right now. <laughs> this is going out to legal tech. It's it's called Adoption Marketing, a plea for uh, marketing that changes people. Like I'm totally with it. You got to move people. This idea that we're sort of just waiting and taking orders. I'm sorry, but if all you're doing is taking orders, you are eminently replaceable. Don't do that work. Change people. Like Drucker said, create your customer. Your marketing is what does that. So Maddie. Unless you're doing criminal defense, then don't create your own customers. <laughs> That's called entrapment. Yeah. You can't All do right. That. So um, as we get towards the end here, I want to highlight, if you're interested in listening to more of our shows, you can watch last week's episode that aired last Thursday at 1.30 with Steve Fretzen, host of Be That Lawyer podcast. Steve talked to us about business development for attorneys, which is amazing because we base, obviously, as a legal marketing company, we have designed this podcast to be about legal marketing. And so what you talked about is like, hey, here's this person's story and this great part. That's the entire goal of this podcast is like, hey, here's somebody who's great on, you know, the business development. We're going to have people who are great on TikTok, who are great on Instagram, who are great on uh, LinkedIn, you know, come on and talk about those specific journeys. So people can do exactly what Mike talked about today, determine whether or not that's the right path for them, for their business model, for their expertise, authorship, authority, et cetera. And so it's, this is a very meta episode for the purpose of our podcast. I'm doing the LeVar Burton. I was waiting for right when I did this for the bird in the background. I go, what the fuck? You know, just super loud. Cheap that would, you, we got to get like, um, you know, like the shock jocks. Like a recording. Time. Exactly. <laughs> like every time push the button. Yep. So uh, with that being said, I mean, we've been going for about 50 minutes now. So I want to mm -hmm. be cognizant of your time. Um, and I'm, and I have a two thirty. Um, <laughs> what is, what, what's the, what are we missing? What's the biggest takeaway? What's the, <clears throat> You know, somebody who's not going to read the books that you mentioned, but like they're going to remember this one thing that would be do less, but better. I'm, I'm just going to steal from uh, Greg McEwen. The chances are it, when you watch a show like this, when you read something, when you go to a conference, chances are you're hiding from the work you know that you should do. Uh, and that preliminary work is figuring out what work is right for you. It's really hard to do. Uh, that that requires a lot of self-reflection, a lot of decision-making that we don't want to do. But uh, do that and then do less than you think. Well, and I think there's also the confidence component to make the change. Like, I think people get so wrapped up in the, well, I spent all this money on law school. Oh, well, I've been trying to make partner for five years. Or, oh, you know, I've, I've already, I'm pot committed. In right. And that you're missing opportunity, right? Like somebody else is winning on TikTok. Somebody else is winning on YouTube. And I'm, I'm on these 10 platforms and barely getting anything. Uh, I'm going to borrow from the Bhagavad Gita here and say, you have a right to your labor, but you don't have a right to the fruits of your labor. You just do your work, man. This is you crafting character. You happen to be helping other people that it, that's about conscious, empathetic choices made over and over again for somebody else's benefit. The, the results are the results. Just just do what you think matters in service of other people. That was super meta. That was yeah. like, sorry. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Um, we've got all the links on here. The other thing I do wanted to breezy, can you make sure you drop the link to lawyer forward the book? So that way people that are interested in picking the wisdom of Mike Moore can do that because I just, it's at least from my perspective, what you're talking about is just such a different take on a very similar concept. And I mean, that as a total compliment, like it's just interesting to see like the mindset that you have on this and the viewpoint you have on it. It's very different. Take care of yourself, people. You're all you got. I love it. Thank you.